Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of the modern monocle. Stopping the copyright police from pulling the wall on us. Facing and taking on all the plate to pay to troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinizing through their lies and make them fold. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. This week's intro is going to be hopefully uh, pretty short uh, because I want to get to our guests as quickly as possible. If you've been on the internet at all over the past week or so, you almost certainly heard that current FCC chair Ajit Pai uh, has followed through on his expected plan to try to gut uh, the net neutrality rules that were put in place just a couple of years ago. Uh, while it was well known that this was coming, Pi officially released the details of the order the day before Thanksgiving, and the official vote uh, will be at the FCC's next open meeting on December 14th. Uh, the plan, more or less, is as expected uh, to completely overturn the previous FCC rules on the open internet, uh, which have already been upheld in court, and to switch broadband to uh, be classified as an information service, limiting the FCC's authority over it. There are lots of other things in there as well, uh, but it basically is a complete reversal on everything that was achieved uh, in the uh, open internet order from just a couple of years back. Uh, earlier this year, we had Gigi Sohn on the podcast, uh, who was an advisor to former FCC chair Tom Wheeler. Uh, in that podcast, she explained the game plan, uh, which has played out, unfortunately, more or less exactly as she predicted. Um, given where things are, we've asked her to be back on the podcast. And with her this time, we also have former chairman Tom Wheeler himself as well. So uh, welcome to the podcast, guys. Hello, Great to be here. Yeah, I, I know that you're both quite busy, so I, I appreciate you making the time. And and just before we, we get into the, the, the meat of all of this, um, I, I did want to note, uh, it was kind of amusing in, in trying to set this up and, and schedule this. We re record this, this podcast remotely. Um, and it was interesting to me just because I know how how uh you know recording for for radio and and things were done uh in the past where it often involved you know finding studio time and reserving time and and having expensive ISDN lines and and things like that and and one of the things that's, that's amazing to me especially in the past few years is the ability now to record pretty high quality podcasts remotely um, using tools like we use one called Cast all the time, or as we're doing now, we're using Skype, which which is uh, another wonderful tool. And these are tools that are available because of an open internet <laughs> and because of net neutrality, allowing these things to exist without having to, you know, be super expensive and and cost all sorts of problems. And I think that a lot of people don't necessarily even appreciate how important having a free and open internet has been. Um, and I think just the fact that we're recording this way uh, helps to demonstrate that. And so with that, I, I feel bad launching into the podcast this way, but I have to start out kind of by asking both of you what's going through your mind over the past week or so as, as uh, Pi has sort of moved to roll back almost uh, the, the, the entire legacy of what you guys accomplished at the FCC. Gigi, you want to lead? Sure, why not? You were the, the one who predicted this whole thing, so. <laughs> well, look, obviously it's disheartening, you know, when you've worked so hard 
to, you know, put together a decision that was just wildly popular, which helps innovation, helps free speech, frankly, even helps the Internet service providers, which who have precipitated this whole action. It's obviously, you know, it's not what you want to see. On the other hand, it's not a surprise. But, but let me just make one point about this item. I, I, I've read the whole thing, read it quite carefully. But I, I think people need to understand what a radical decision this is. Because, you know, we've been debating net neutrality now for, you know, depending on how long you've been around, 15 to 20 years. And there has never been an FCC chairman who said that the FCC shouldn't have any role whatsoever in protecting an open internet. Yeah. Ajit Pai is the very first. He has said, he has said, we don't have the authority, we don't want the authority, we're just going to give everything to the Federal Trade Commission and the antitrust authorities, and we could talk about why that's not nearly enough. But people have to understand what a radical departure this is from bipartisan agreement that the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, should have a role in keeping the Internet open. I think Jeezy's absolutely right. Um, uh, unfortunately, it wasn't a surprise um, um, when uh, Ajit Pai was a member of the commission. He voted against it and did everything possible to uh, stop the open Internet rules at that point in time. Now he's chairman. He's announced uh, right from the outset that he was going to go uh, gut them. But I don't think anybody anticipated, uh, as Gigi said, the extent to which uh, he has gone. To, to say that, that the FCC has no role um, whatsoever, and to put forward this preposterous concept that transparency is sufficient. And the FCC will just require the ISPs to say, well, this is what we're doing. And, and I just, I'm dumbfounded by that. You know, it's, it, it, evil is permissible as long as you tell people that you are engaging in evil activities. Right. I mean, it's just dumbfounding. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I, and I kind of feel like, you know, there is an argument that transparency is certainly, well, I mean, I don't think anyone would disagree that it's helpful. And I think, but but the situation where it's really helpful is when you have actual competition. And and that's what's what's lacking. And, and, and certainly, um, that seems something that, that he doesn't seem to want to admit that there's that's just a great. That's a great point, Mike. I mean, you know, so it, it, when, when we were going through our process, we did a study and, and we found that Two-thirds of the households in America had at most one choice for high-speed broadband. Right. So, okay, let's just, let's just carry the Trump FCC proposal forward. So it is now transparent that they say, here is all the bad things that we're going to do. For two-thirds of American households, what's their choice? Right. There is none. Yeah. But but you know but you know what's even more frightening is in this order, again buried in this order, he says two is fine and you know what? One is fine. And they actually bless monopoly. Huh. And the argument is, well, if they're competing in other markets with one or two providers, then they will carry that competitive activity to a place where they're the monopoly. Which, that's a total joke. I mean, yeah. you know, you, we've seen over and over the only thing that really moderates prices, moderates behavior, is vibrant competition. 
You know, when you only have two in a market, that's not vibrant competition. They 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 tend to walk in lockstep with with prices and, and practices. But he even goes as far to say, well, one is okay as well, so long as they're competing somewhere else. Wow. So it, it again, very radical and, and they, they show all these numbers, right? Their own numbers and even their own numbers show the concentration in this market. Yeah. And I was going to say, I mean, we have so many examples of, you know, when like a municipal broadband player enters a market or, or you know, when Google Fiber was coming into certain markets, that's then suddenly the incumbents would, would suddenly change their practices. So I, I can't see how you could claim that the that, that competition in one area would, you know, one location would, would carry over into other areas when that's, there's, there's almost no evidence that I can think of that would show that. Well, the fascinating thing is that one of the first things that the Trump FCC did when they came in was to rescind our requirement that we imposed on Charter as a condition of their merger with Time Warner Cable that they had to start offering a competitive service. Right. And the first one of the first things they did was they walk in and say, oh, you don't have to do that anymore. We don't think that there's a need for competition. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah. And, and let me mention one other thing, and this kind of goes against Ajit Pai's I Love Rural America uh, <laughs> you know, uh, contest that he's been doing since he got in there. You know, the, in rural areas, there is only one. Okay? Right. There's no competition whatsoever. So if you're a rural American and your monopoly ISP is throttling or blocking or engaging in paid prioritization, there is nowhere you can go. So it kind of runs against, you know, what Pi has been doing, uh, you know, sucking up to rural America by basically saying, you got one and, yeah, he's going to tell, they're going to tell you how they're going to screw you. Uh, and that's just about all you can do. Yeah, I mean, to be clear, I, you know, I live in in the the very middle of Silicon Valley, and realistically, I only have one choice too. So it's not just rural America; <laughs> yeah. it's it's kind of crazy, um, you know, how little choice there is in in large parts of the country. And I think even you know, I, you know, one of the things that that you guys did at the FCC was also you know, make sure that broadband was defined as uh, at a much higher speed than it had been. And um, that's another thing that, that he was rolling back to, right? Yes, he's defined it down um, right. to uh, to 10 megabits uh, a second. Uh, we, we, we defined it at 25 megabits a second. Uh, and so we're now down at 10 megabits a, a second, which, you know, is barely enough, particularly if there are multiple devices that are streaming or going online in a household. But it is has the great advantage of now being able to, back to Gigi's point about rural America, of saying, oh, well, we've got broadband yeah. uh, in more places in rural America because they define something that really isn't high-speed broadband right. as high-speed broadband. And and so this is this is playing with the numbers. This is phony math. This is is it, it, it's it's mind-boggling that this is the way in which they're going to point towards uh, quote progress unquote by cooking the books. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Ajit Pai wants you to have slow closed broadband. And by the way, speaking about kind of looking back to the past as opposed to the future. The way that Pi justifies being able to keep uh, subsidies both for poor people and for rural Americans is, is by saying, well, 
you know, if they provide phone service as well as broadband service, they're okay. They continue to get the subsidies. Well, what that means is you'll never have competitors come in just with broadband, which really would get broadband to more people in America, would get more broadband to poor people. You're saying, you know, you've got to provide a regular plain old telephone service as well. Well, that's not going to make any progress. Again, that's a, it's going backwards and not right. forwards. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, there are so many things that bother me about this situation, and I'm sure it bothers you guys too. You know, and and one of them is is just the idea that 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 Pi and his supporters keep putting forth that that the the open internet rules that that you guys put in place two years ago were somehow really onerous on on ISPs. And you know, I've gone through the rules and I've written about this and I've explained it. As far as I can tell, unless you're doing something really bad, <laughs> there's there's nothing particularly onerous in the rules. The rules are basically you know be good be be fair, right? Am I missing something? Where's the onerous? That's, that's, that's absolutely what the what the rules say. But let's let's just kind of cut to the chase here, Mike. What is going on? Is that you know? Think back to the early days of the internet. It was the fact that the internet was connected via telephone lines. Mm-hmm. Common carriage telephone lines. Remember the old sque- screeching modems that we all had, right? <laughs> yep. The, in those days, anybody could get on. That was the ultimate open network. And what has happened is that as we have moved from that analog technology to digital technology, the companies have said, oh, that makes everything different. We need to have different rules because it's different technology. Well, baloney. The answer is you're delivering the same kind of essential connectivity. You ought to have the same kind of rules. This is like saying, oh, you know, I've got an electric car now, so I don't have to obey the speed <laughs> limit because the speed limit was set for gasoline-powered cars. And that's what they're doing. But here's the result of that. The result is that... Under this proposal, your internet service is now going to be like your cable television service. And if you like your cable operator, you're going to love your internet service because they'll be able to choose who gets on. They'll be able to give you tiers. Oh, I'm sorry, but you know you can't get Facebook in that tier. You've got to buy more to get that. They'll be able to favor their own content and let's remember that, remember, they're all getting into video content now. That's, you know, Comcast now owns uh, NBC Universal. AT&T is trying to buy Time Warner. They're all getting into content so they can favor their own content. And the consumer is going to be in a position which is exactly like where they are with their cable service. And, um, and, and, and that is the antithesis of what has made the Internet the great platform that it is. You know, it's amazing about this draft order, Mike, is it is an invitation for Internet service providers like AT&T and Comcast to start fast lanes, right. like, like, like Tom was just talking about. They are, they're basically saying this is innovative, two-sided markets are great. I mean, it's all this kind of like it's couching all this economic mumbo-jumbo. But what they're saying is, please, ISPs, please. <laughs> Have fast lanes so rich companies can pay to get faster than consumers and startups won't have a chance to ever start up. 
But but there's, there's one other thing that is really, really important now, and what this order is about. This is about neutering the agency that since 1934 has been tasked with overseeing communications networks. I mean, it's mind-boggling to me that Pi would say this expert agency, the agency, again, formed by Congress in 1934 to oversee networks, would take itself out of overseeing access to the most important network of our lifetimes. And that's what this is about. So if Comcast decides one day to double its prices, FTC can't do anything about that. The Federal Trade Commission can't do anything about that. You know, if we ever had a, if the FCC ever had a chance to to adopt new privacy rules, and actually they still have a duty uh, to enforce privacy over uh, over broadband, that goes away as well. So consumer protection, protection and promotion of competition, Ajit Pai is throwing that all away, and that to me is absolutely mind-boggling. So I, I think you partly answered my next question, but. You know, a lot of what what he's been saying is that you know the FTC will will have the authority to to police bad, you know, uh, anti-competitive behavior, um, and and you're pointing out the 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 elements that that they they don't have. But but you know, is there a further response in terms of why the FTC is is not the correct agency to be policing this? Well, let's go back to my point about transparency, and you can do evil so long as you tell everybody that you're doing evil. Mm -hmm. Then the response is the FTC has to come in, and after the harm, after the evil has been done, has to then build a case that says, oh, you shouldn't have done that. Now, first of all, the, the, the horse is out of the barn. Right. Second of all, it is a very targeted kind of to this one specific instance. The FTC, which the FCC, the Trump FCC claims has sufficient authority, and and, an FTC commissioner the other day tweeted, even if we get this, we don't have the authority to do the job. Right. I, mean, I just want to emphasize the importance of rules, okay, and making rules, which the FTC does not have the legal power to do. Rules let consumers know what their rights are, and they moderate bad behavior. And as Tom said, they protect consumers and competition before they're harmed. And again, if you're a small startup and you're being throttled or you're being put in the slow lane, you know, by the time you get a complaint to the, you know, to the antitrust authorities and get it resolved, assuming it's even resolved in your favor, you're probably dead meat. You're probably bankrupt. Okay. Well, well let's go one step further. Let's go one step further, Gigi. You're a low-income American who is told that to get the service that is necessary, you're going to have to pay to buy up several tiers. You don't have any choice. You're dead immediately. There is no appeal to the FTC for that. Right. Right. Yeah. So, you know, the Comcast and Verizons of the world have, have spent a lot of time, really over the last year, but especially over the last couple of weeks, insisting that they're not going to do any bad behavior. Um, what's, what's your response to, to, to what they've been saying? Then what's the problem with rules? 
If you're not going to, if you're not going to engage, that's number one. But number two is they never talk about paid prioritization. They never talk about fast lanes. Right. Right. We won't block. We won't throttle. We believe in net neutrality. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, AT&T in their filings uh, in this in this current proceeding talk about fast lanes all the time. Right. Okay, that's what they want to do. They want to prior. They want edge providers, online companies, to pay them for better quality of service and faster faster service. That is what they want. They see that as a cash cow. They see that as a fair deal. Why shouldn't you know Google and Facebook pay me? The problem is it doesn't just affect Google and Facebook. It affects you know all the companies that signed a letter today to Ajit Pai talking about how you know next Cyber Monday they're going to be at a gross disadvantage if internet service providers can have fast lanes and slow lanes. So Mike, let me let's let's get specific too. So sure. this all started back in 2005, right? When a Republican FCC acted against Comcast for blocking access or throttling access to uh, a peer-to-peer service. Comcast took them to court. We won't put up with it. No, we want to be able to do that, Comcast said. They took them to court. The court said, well, FCC don't have the authority to do it that way. Every time the FCC has tried to do something, whether it was a Republican FCC or a Democratic FCC, the companies have taken the FCC to court until the proposal that Gigi and I worked on uh, was adopted, making them common carriers, and that withstood the court test twice. But you asked about some specific examples. There was the 2005 example of Comcast that I cited before. There was the fact that uh, AT&T and Verizon both blocked Google Wallet Mm-hmm. Because uh, because they had uh, their own pay service that they wanted their own wallet service they wanted to uh, to advantage, Verizon has blocked tethering apps because they want to be able to force you to pay twenty dollars extra to be able to tether, and then of course, in one of those challenges to the earlier rules, Verizon's lawyer stood in court and said to the judges, I have been authorized by my client to say that the reason why we are against this rule is we want to do fast lanes and slow lanes. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) So, yeah. So, well, then what's the response to people who, who then argue that fast lanes and slow lanes aren't such a bad thing? Right, so people will argue. Well, there are certain apps that that need fast lanes, and and I will say that I'm playing devil's advocate here because I I think I know the answer, but I'd like to hear from you. I'm sure our our, our listeners would like to hear from you. What what is the response for people to say? You know, things like telemedicine um, are going to be super important, and you don't want you know telemedicine connections to be cut down because somebody's downloading a movie or whatever. We were very specific in our rules to say that you could prioritize for public interest services like that, mm-hmm. specifically. Well, also, it's the fact of the matter is, it's a red herring. You're not going to have telemedicine services over the over the plain old garden variety internet, right? You're going to have some other service, and we also made provision, we call them non-broadband internet access services, where you might have a prioritized service, but it's not 
broadband internet access. It's, a, it's what has also been called a specialized services. Nobody's going to do their remote surgery over <laughs> plain old garden variety internet. I hope so, not. you know, as Tom says, it's a, it's a, it's a total red herring. You know, as a general matter, however, you know, the internet was intended to be an end-to-end service where you and I, you know, at the ends of the networks are picking winners and losers and not an internet service provider in between. So it's far more important for democracy, for innovation, for things we care about to not have paid prioritization of a flat ban on paid prioritization than not to, not, than, than to permit it. Right. And then the the one other sort of devil's advocate argument that, that I hear and disagree with, but again, would like to hear you guys respond to, is just this idea that, that you know, for the Comcast, AT&T, and Verizons of the world, that they claim that they built, uh, you know, large portions of the network mm-hmm. and therefore they should get to control it the way they want to. Well, they did build the large portions of the network, and they do deserve a fair return on that. And they are making a fair return um, on that. But we're talking about an essential service here. The 21st century cannot operate without the Internet. And you and me, as citizens of the 21st century, need to have access to that Internet. It's, it's, you know, let's go back to the analogy I was making to this makes your internet service like your cable television service. I can live without cable television service. I cannot live without the internet. And what they're trying to do is to say, excuse me, I'm the one who should make the rules. No, there is a greater social good that is essential in here. And we, the people, through our representatives in government, ought to be the ones who make the rules. Well, I think, and and again, I, I'm in agreement, but I think some of the concern that some people have brought up at least is, um, you know, what if we, the people are are bad at that you know what if what if the rules that that we the people through the fcc put in place do somehow stifle investment or innovation on the internet well there's no evidence yeah they haven't yeah i mean if again if you look at this draft order and i don't recommend anybody listening (laughs) to this podcast do so everything that pi cites to as quote-unquote proof that investment has gone down is an industry funded study or scholars for dollars, you know, free press, which is one of the public interest groups in the space has done a fantastic job picking apart uh, those numbers. But, but here's what's most important. Not one of the publicly traded ISPs has told wall street that title two has hurt its investment. In fact, they've said otherwise. I know Charter's uh, CEO has said otherwise. So you have to listen to what they tell Wall Street and not what they tell Washington. Right. Um, One other area that's come up in all of this is sort of the interplay between, um, you know, wired or wireline broadband versus wireless. And I know that, you know, again, if we're going back through 
previous FCC chairman, uh, you know, I, I remember back in the day when, when Michael Powell told us all that broadband over power lines was going to be uh, the great new competitor <laughs> to, to broadband. And therefore, you know, we needed less rules on the on, on DSL and cable at the time. Um, that didn't come to pass. Now, obviously, you know, I think wireless has developed obviously much more than broadband over power lines. Um, but but I at least find it a little bit disingenuous when, when when people try and sort of lump wireless and wireline together as as an attempt to prove that there's competitive markets. You guys, they have... aren't fungible sub. They aren't fungible substitutes, right? Um, and you know, start with the speed, start with the reliability, start with what happens that you know the spectrum only will hold uh, so much content, so many users. Um, you know, they are not uh, fungible uh, substitutes. So 5G is today's broadband over power lines, right? <laughs> so right. the mobile operators are going to fifth generation, and it's going to be great, and blah, blah, blah. Well, you know what? Uh, I'll speak for my former boss and, and, and myself and saying, we hope it's great, right. but it's just starting, okay? It may turn out to be like broadband over power lines, which is a big nothing burger. Right. So, you know, to say that that's going to be, you know, the cure-all and that puts mobile wireless on the same ground as fixed is just completely false. You know, a, a lot of this also, you know, by saying that mobile is and fixed are, are similar, I think really the people that it hurts the most are poor people, poor right. people and rural people. They're like, you, he's basically saying, yeah, you guys have enough. You got, you know, this slow broadband, but it's adequate, you know, so no worries. And so it really, really hurts. It hurts the most vulnerable uh, among us because a lot of us, probably all three of us on this, on this call, ha we have both. Right. Right. But for a lot of poor people, all they have is the relatively slow mobile connection. Right. So, which of course they're in the process of cutting back the support that we put in place for low-income Americans. They have support to, with broadband, but that's another topic we can talk about <laughs> at another time. But it fits in. It fits in this broad. You know, we are right now watching the biggest do-nothing FCC in history, and that doesn't mean that they aren't passing rules. Mm -hmm. But those rules say, do nothing. Right. <laughs> again and again and again. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is fairly incredible. So um, to, to get into a couple of things in terms of what, what happens next, right? So um, I know that, you know, Gigi, when we last spoke, you know, th the idea was that, um, you know, Pi would, would put out this order, and then the question is whether or not Congress would, would step in, whether they would try and pass a law um, of some sort. What, what's what's kind of the, the standing there? Yeah, I don't, I, I don't think uh, any legislation is going to be uh, possible in the, in the near term. I think we're going to court. There is an effort afoot uh, from a lot of the Netroots groups to try to get members of Congress, Republican members of Congress, to tell Pi to stop. Mm -hmm. uh, they got 200,000 calls in in one day last Wednesday when Pi announced he was going to do this. So there's still an effort. Go to Battle for the Net and sign up. Uh, but I do believe we are going to court, and that's really going to be the next battleground. I just don't see any taste, particularly on the Democratic side, 
to do legislation right now. And I will say, um, it's my opinion and, and those of the public interest community that I work with, that we'd rather take our chances in court than cut a bad deal on the Hill. And with this Congress, we're not going to get a good deal. And look, right. things can change. You know, so Senator Brian Schatz, who's been a, a, great, a great supporter of net neutrality, has been saying, look, folks, make this an electoral issue. You know, make sure candidates, you know, know about this issue and, and, and sort of, you know, put it in their, in their platforms. So let people vote on this stuff and maybe we have a better, much better Congress in 2018 and then we can talk about legislation. Right. And in terms of the, the court, um, you know, I've been saying for a while that, you know, there are some people who seem to think that, you know, it's, it's easy for the FCC just to, to make this switch. Um, but, you know, part of the point is they have to, to show that, that there's a valid reason for making the switch, right? It's, it can't be the arbitrary and capricious uh, uh, thing. And, and so they have to actually present a, a fair bit of evidence. And, and I've argued that that's going to be fairly difficult for the FCC. Is, how do you guys feel about, about where things will likely go in court? Well, we agree that it's going to be a real challenge. So that the job, the job of the commission in the court is to go in and say, oh my goodness, things have changed so drastically over the last two years that we have to throw everything out and walk totally away from responsibility. Right. I think that's a high. I think that's a high hurdle. I agree. The fact that they have gone so you know, rogue, and gotten rid of everything, I think is going to be their biggest challenge. I also think, look, one of the things we did in 2015 is we, we, you know, we looked at the way internet service providers advertise their service. They look at, we looked at the way consumers perceive uh, what they get from their ISP. And the fact of the matter is, is that the companies advertise a big, fat, reliable pipe and that's what consumers want, right? Consumers don't buy their, you know, their internet service to get web hosting or to get email or anything like that. They're buying it to get fast, reliable access to the internet. And how he's going to show that two and a half years after we made that determination, now consumers all of a sudden think it's a bundle <laughs> of, of, of different services. I, I wish him, I don't wish him luck <laughs> at all. I think but that's going to be a but high let's also, But let's also remember that they will have the best lawyers money can buy defending themselves yeah. in the companies. And, um, and so, you know, we need to, to look to the courts we need to count on the courts for bringing sobriety to this ideological discussion. But uh, it's going to be a fight. Yeah, yeah. And it'll take a few years probably before we kind of know where, where it ends up. Well, the nice thing is that if the, the, the most important decision the court will make will be the stay decision. Right. Because obviously we'll, you'll, you'll want to keep the rules from going into effect because let's, let's – Let's back up. The open internet is the law of the land today. Right. And the court needs to keep it that way, even while it makes this decision. Right. Yeah. So. Otherwise, they're taking things away from consumers. Right. Causing irreparable harm. Right, right, right. Um, 
So there's there's a whole bunch of other things that I could and and probably would like to talk about, but I know I have to go, and you guys have to have to go as well. And I, and I appreciate the time that that you've taken already. But just to close it out, um, you know, I think a lot of people have been, you know, who, who have been following this issue, or, or even who are just coming across it now, um, have been, um, you know, concerned about what what they can do. So so uh, tell them what they should be doing, basically. So, look, I, I do think it's really important for people to still continue to weigh in with their member of Congress, regardless of what Pi does. Right. So I say, you know, battleforthenet.com uh, and sign up and let your member of Congress know that you really don't like what Ajit Pai is doing. The other thing I would say is educate yourself. You know, I've been writing for Mashable and The Verge. I just wrote a piece uh, called uh, The FCC's Draft Net Neutrality Order is Even Worse Than You Think. I'm thinking about actually writing a part two now that I've read it deep in the weeds. There's that much bad. So educate yourself and let your member of Congress know that you are really displeased with what this FCC chairman is proposing. Yeah. Um, Tom, do you have anything to add to that? Far be it for me to ever <laughs> contradict or add to Gigi, who has been, you know, the voice of American consumers for so long. <laughs> Well, that's that's a great way to, to close it out. Um, again, I know both of you guys are, are super busy, so I really, really appreciate you taking the time uh, to have this discussion and and you know to keep fighting for for you know for for the open internet and and keeping it going. And and hopefully everyone listening appreciates it as well. I'm sure they do. Um, and uh, uh, th- thanks again. And uh, thanks to everyone who's who's been listening. And uh, we'll be back next week with uh, another podcast. Thank you, Mike. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get.